Section number 29 of The Glories of Ireland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Glories of Ireland, edited by Joseph Dunn and P.J. Lennox. Irish Heroic Sagas by Eleanor Hull. Ireland has the unique distinction of having preserved for mankind a full and vivid literary record of a period otherwise so far as native memorials are concerned clouded in obscurity a few fragmentary suggestions derived from ancient stone monuments or from diggings in tumuli and graves are all that gaul or britain have to contribute to a knowledge of that important period just before and just after the beginning of our era when the armies of rome were overrunning western europe and were brought for the first time into direct contact with the celtic peoples of the west almost all that we know of the early inhabitants of these countries comes to us from the pens of roman writers and soldiers posidonius caesar diodorus tactus we may give these observers credit for a desire to be fair to peoples they sometimes admired and often dreaded but conquerors are not always the best judges of the races they are engaged in subduing especially when they are ignorant of their language unversed in their lore and customs and unused to their ways valuable as are the reports of roman authorities we feel at every point the need of checking them by native records but the native records of gaul and in large part also those of britain and wales have been swept away caesar is probably right in saying that the druids who were the learned men of their race and day committed nothing to writing if they did whatever they wrote has been irrevocably lost but ireland was exempt from the sweeping changes brought about through long periods of roman and saxon occupation no great upheaval from without disturbed the native political and social conditions up to the coming of the norse and danes about the beginning of the ninth century agricola standing on the western coast of britain looked across the dividing channel and reflected upon the beneficial connection that the conquest of ireland would have formed between the most powerful parts of the roman empire but fortunately for the literature of ireland if not for her history he never came the early incursions of the scotty or irish were eastward into england wales and gaul and there seemed to have been few return movements towards the west ireland pursued her path of native development undisturbed it is to this circumstance that she owes the preservation of so much of her native literature a great body of material historical religious poetic romantic showing marks of having originated at a very early time and a great variety and interest at what period this literature first began to be written down we do not know Orosius tells us that a traveller named athicus spent a considerable time in ireland early in the fifth century examining their volumes which tends to prove that there was writing in ireland before st patrick but the native bard must have made writing superfluous the man who could at a moment's notice recite any one out of the three hundred and fifty stories which might be called for besides poetry genealogies and travel records was worth many books only a few were expert enough to read his writings but all could enjoy his tales the earliest written records that we have now existing date from the seventh or eighth century but undoubtedly there is preserved for us in these materials a picture of social conditions going back to the very beginning of our era and covell with the stray stage of civilization known as archaeology as latena or late celtic to help his memory the early 
Shanashi, or storyteller, grouped his romantic story store under different heads, such as tains, or cattle spoils, feasts, elopements, sieges, battles, destructions, tragical deaths. But it is easy for us now to group them in another way, and to class together the series of tales referring to the Duitha de Dedanin, or ancient deities. Those belonging to the red branch cycle of King Kokobar and Kuchilain, those relating to Finn and the legends of the kings. The hundred or more tales belonging to the second group are especially valuable for social history on account of the detailed descriptions they give of customs, dress, weapons, habits of life, and ethical ideas. To the historian, folklorist, and student of primitive civilizations, they are documents of the highest importance. It seems likely that the red branch cycle of tales, including the epic tale of the Tain or cattle spoil of Kulenj, which has gathered round itself a number of minor tales, had some basis of historical fact, and arose in the period of Ulster's predominance to celebrate the deeds of a band of warlike champions who flourished in the north about the beginning of the Christian era. No one who has visited the wraths of the Aman Macha near Ma where stood the traditional site of the ancient capital of Ulster, or has followed the well-defined and massive outworks of Rath, Kelcher, and the forts of the other heroes, whose deeds the tales embody, could doubt that they had their origin in great events that once happened there. The topography of the tales is absolutely correct, or again, when we cross over into Kanat, the remains of Rath Cronin, near the ancient palace of the Amazonian queen, Med testify to similar events she it was who in her pillow talk with her husband alia declared that she had married him only because in him did she find the strange bride gift which her imperious nature demanded a man without stinginess without jealousy without fear it was in her desire to surpass her husband in wealth that she sent the combined armies of the south and west into ulster to carry off a famous bull the brown bull of cooley the only match in Ireland for one possessed by her spouse. This raid forms the central subject of the Tainbocoulanche. The motive of the tale and the kind of life described in it alike show the primitive conditions out of which it had rise. It belongs to a time when land was plenty for the scattered inhabitants to dwell upon, but stock to place upon it was scarce. The possession of herds was necessary not only for food and the provisioning of troops, but as a standard of wealth, proof of position, any means of exchange. Everything was estimated before the use of money, by its value in keen or herds, when Med and Ale compare their possessions to find out which of them is better than the other, their herds of cattle, swine, and horses are driven in. Their ornaments and jewels, their garments and vats and household appliances are displayed. The pursuit of the cattle of neighboring tribes was the prime cause of the innumerable raids which made every man's life one of perpetual warfare much more so than the acquisition of land or the avenging of wrongs. Hence a motive that may seem to us insufficient and remote as the subject of a great epic arose out of the necessities of actual life. Cattle driving is the oldest of all occupations in Ireland. The conditions we find described in these tales show us an open country, generally unenclosed by hedges or walls. The chariots can drive straight across the province. There are no towns and the stopping places are the large farmers' dwellings, open inns known as houses of hospitality, fortified by surrounding raths or earthen walls, the only private property in land, in a time when the tribe land was common, that we hear of, 
at this period within these borders lay the pleasure grounds and gardens of the cattle sheds for the herds which the great landowners or chief loaned out to the smaller men in return for services rendered here were trained in the arts of industry and fine needlework the daughters of the chief men of the tribe and their foster sisters drawn from the humbler families around them the rivers as a rule formed the boundaries of the provinces and the fords were constantly guarded by champions who challenged every wayfarer to single combat if he could not show sufficient reason for crossing the borderland these combats were fought actually in the fort itself and all wars began in a long series of single hand-to-hand -hand combats between equal champions before the armies as a whole engaged each other to fight was every man's prime duty and the man who had slain the largest number of his fellows was acclaimed as the greatest hero it was the proud boast of the conal Kernanch, the victorious that seldom had a day passed in which he had not challenged a Connaughtman, and a few nights in which a Connaughtman's head had not formed his pillow it shows the primitive savagery of the period that skulls of enemies were worn dangling from the belt and were stored up in one of the palaces of iman maka as trophies of valor so warlike were the heroes that even during friendly feasts their weapons had to be hung up in a separate house lest they should spring to arms in rivalry with their own fellows yet in spite of this rude barbarism of outward life the warriors had formed for themselves a high and exacting code of honor which may be regarded as the first steps toward what in later times and other countries became known as chivalry save that there is in the acts of irish heroes a simplicity and sincerity which puts them on a higher level than the obligatory courtesies of more artificial ages generosity between enemies was carried to an extraordinary pitch twice over in fights with different foes connell kiernak binds his right hand to his side in order that his enemy who had lost one hand may fight on equal terms with him the two severest combats sustained by kukulin the youthful ulster champion in the long war of the Tain, are those with Locke the great and ferdinand both first-rate warriors who had been forced by the wiles of meb into unwilling conflict against their young antagonist in their youth they had been fellow pupils in the school of the amazon who had taught them both alike the arts of war when Locke the great as a dying request prays kulikang to permit him to rise so that he may fall on his face and not backwards toward the men of Aaron lest hereafter it should be said that he fell in flight kulika replies that will i will surely for it is a warrior's boon thou cravest and he steps back to allow the wounded man to reverse his position to the ford the tale of kulikan's combat with ferdiad had become classic nothing more pathetic or more full of the true spirit of chivalry is to be found in any literature each warrior estimates nobly the prowess of the other each sorrowfully recalls the memory of his old friendships and expeditions made together when frigadid falls his ancient comrade pours out over him a passionate lament each night when the day's combat is over they throw their arms round each other's neck and embrace their horses are put up in the same paddock and their charioteurs sleep beside the same fire each night kulikane sends to his wounded friend a share of the herbs that are applied to his own wounds while to kulikane Ferdiad sends a fair half of the pleasant delicate food supplied to him by the man of Aaron. We may recall, too, Hulaclane's act of compassion toward Queen Meb near the close of the Tain. Her army is flying in rout homeward across the Shannon, 
closely pursued by Kulaklane. As he approaches the ford, he finds Queen Medeba lying prostrate on the bank. Unable any longer to guard the retreat of her army, she appeals to her enemy to aid her, and Kulaklane, with that lovable boyish delight in acts of supreme generosity, which is always ascribed to him, undertakes to shield the retreat of the disordered host from his own troops and to see them safely across the river, while Medb reposes peacefully in a field hard by. The spirit which actuates the heroes is well expressed by Kulaklane when his friends would restrain him from going forth to his last fight, knowing that in that battle he must fall. I had rather than the whole world's gold, and then the earth's riches that death had ere now befallen me. So would not this shame and testimony of reproach now stand recorded against me, for in every tongue this noble old saying is remembered. Fame outlives life. The Irish tales surpass those of the Arthurian cycle in simplicity, in humor, and in human interest. The characters are not mere types of fixed virtues and vices. They have each a strongly marked individuality, consistently adhered to through the multitude of different stories in which they play a part. This is especially the case with regard to the female characters. Emmer, Deirdre, Etan, Grain may be said to have introduced into European literature new types of womanhood, quite unlike in their sprightliness and humor, their passionate affection and heroic qualities, to anything found elsewhere. Stories about women play a large part in ancient Irish literature. Their elopements, their marriages, their griefs and tragedies form the subject of a large number of tales. Among the list of tales that any bard might be called upon to recite, the courtships or wooings probably formed a favorite group. They are of great variety and beauty. The Irish, indeed, may be called the inventors of the love tale for modern Europe. The gravest effect of this literature, a defect which is common to all early literature before coming under the chastening hand of the master, is undoubtedly its tendency to extravagance, though much dependent upon the individual writer, some being stylus, some not, and all were prone to frequent and, and grotesque exaggerations. The lack of restraint and self-criticism is everywhere apparent. The old Irish writer seems incapable of judging how to shape his material with a view to presenting it in its best form. Thus we have the feeling, even with regard to the Tain Beau Challenge, that what has come down to us is rather the rough-shaped material of an epic than a completed design. The single stories and the groups of stories that have been handled and rehandled at different times, but only occasionally, as in the story of Deirdre, the sorrowful tale of the sons of Usnick, or in the later versions of the wooing of Emmer, or the book of Leinster, version of the wooing of Ferb. Do we feel that a competent artist has so formed his story, the best possible value has been extracted from it? Yet in spite of their defects, the old heroic sagas of Ireland have in them a stimulating force and energy, and an element of fine and healthy optimism, which is strangely at variance with the popular conception of the melancholy of Irish literature, and which, wherever they are known, make them the fountainhead of a fresh creative inspiration. This stimulating of the imagination is perhaps the best gift that a revived interest in the old native romance of Ireland has to bestow. References The originals of many of the tales of the Kulachin cycle of romances will be found, usually accompanied by English or German translations, in the volumes of Ursh Eresh, Text, Revue Celtique, 
Sheetscrift, Fur, Kelp, Phil, Iru, Irish Text Society, Volume 2, Atlantis, Proceed of the R. Irish Academy, Irish MSS Series, and Todd Lecture Series. English translations of the Taine de Boulange, Lou and UBL versions, Miss Winifred Faraday, 1904. LL version with conflate readings. But by Joseph Dunn, 1914, of various stories, E. Hole, the Kuklang Saga in Irish Literature, 1898. A. H. Leahy, Heroic Romances of Ireland, 1905-6, The Courtship of Ferb, 1902. French translations in the Arbois de Joubainville's Epopee Celtic on Ireland. German translations in Thur Mason's Sagan Odin Alien Ireland, 1901. Free rendering by S. O. Grady in The Coming of the Kulikine, 1904. And in his History of Ireland, The Heroic Period, 1878. For full bibliography, see R.I. Best Bibliography of Irish philology and printed literature 1913 and joseph dunn's tain Beaucoulange, pages 32 through 36 1914 end of section 29 recording by april 6090 california united states of america